Well, good morning, family. Today um, is, uh, well, it's kind of this whole, everything's changed, right? And we're here again in, in church, and you're there in your home, and, and um, there's no service here at, on campus. And um, let me just give you an update on that real quick. I, um, yesterday, uh, late morning, we found out that several of our leaders and, uh, and, and uh, in fact, much of our setup team and so forth had to be on quarantine, not because they had the virus necessarily, we were hoping not, um, but somebody they knew had the virus, and uh, only in a couple of occasions. And, uh, and I, I, if you received our email, you know that no one in our church has, uh, to our knowledge, has uh, caught the virus from coming to church. That's not the case. Um, the people who actually uh, had the virus have never been to church service since this all started, and, uh, but they knew someone, and, and that person, you know, several people down the road, you know, one person has finds out that the person they knew got the virus well they had talked with them that week and then they have to just disclose to everybody else that they talked to and that went out and we decided listen let's I'd rather be safe and uh, and even though I love everybody being here and how important that is it is much more important to us that everyone's safe and so today and next week as well because these folks are going to be on quarantine for 14 days and, uh, and quite frankly, we couldn't even set up without them and get everything done. But um, I, I just want you to know that. The other thing I want to make mention of is I want to encourage you. Today, this message that I'm sharing, I believe, is extremely important. I wish I had a broader uh, influence. We had a broader influence um, to be able to communicate this. I believe this message is not only just for us as a church, but I believe this is a message that the entire church body uh, across America needs to hear. I think it's that important, and uh, I mention that to you. Uh, not that my presentation is going to be all that great. I don't know how that's going to be. I, I trust the Lord in this. But what I know is the content is extremely important for everyone. And so I want to encourage you, um, to, if you're on live stream, I, to share. To share right now with your friends and people, encouraging them to watch uh, online. Or if you can't do that, now maybe at the, at the 1045 service, prepare people. Maybe send out some emails and say, listen, especially after you listen to this, if you think this is important. It's really to the body of Christ. It's really to Christians. And, uh, and, and I'm calling it, is it time to push back? And what the... the the, the impetus for this has to do with the fact that we find ourselves in a place where the church is now beginning to, be get, uh, to, to have more pushback from the world and certainly um, a, a certain level of persecution. Um, certainly not the kind of level that our brothers and sisters in some of the uh, countries around the world suffer in, in any means. But there is a pushback. And uh, in fact, some of that pushback certainly has been going on for decades. I mean, cer certainly the academic world has certainly, uh, you know, they, there's a, the, the atheism has, has, you know, risen up in that world. You go to college uh, and you're a Christian, you're pretty much attacked, um, you know, not physically, but certainly attacked verbally 
um, right from the get-go. And I hear college students tell me, my very first class, I went to class and the prof stood up and pretty much blasted Christians and anybody that believes the Bible. And so um, we've had that for a while. And, and it has affected certainly uh, many in the, in, the, in the generations that have gone through, through the universities and colleges. But, but also there's now a new uh, line that has affected uh, the church and is attacked upon the church. And that's the uh, social media world. And and I'm not just talking about individuals on social media. I'm talking about those who are actually um, in control of much of the, the platforms like Facebook and, uh, and, and uh, um, Instagram and, and uh, all the other, some of the other uh, platforms. Google has been found to do that. And so, so um, we're kind of becoming aware of that. Um, there, in fact... Instagram has, has labeled worship, you know, Christian worship as an element of it as hate speech. And not only that, uh, that um, Facebook has done similar things as well. And we see this push against Christianity, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised by it. It's not something we should be surprised by. Jesus actually said that if, you know, that, that we would, in fact, uh, experience persecution. And, uh, and, and Paul told Timothy, he said, he said um, for those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In fact, so if you're not suffering some kind of persecution, you kind of have to question, am I living godly enough? Because I'm not getting very much pushback from anybody. And, uh, and then, of course, the legal world, there's been some Supreme Court rulings recently that hasn't affected us uh, directly yet. But certainly can. And one of the things that uh, has come down the road is the possibility that in the future, whenever there is some kind of, um, you know, p pandemic, it doesn't even have to be that. If there's a, even an economic downturn or something along those lines, that they can ca call a state of emergency with pretty much any situation. And they've, they, they have been given right uh, by the Supreme Court to shut down churches. And, and so, I mean, there's certainly s still an argument on all of that, but the, the point is the door has been opened also for Christian universities and campuses and even churches in hiring that if uh, someone uh, it, it doesn't live up to the moral standards that would be required if you are, in, in fact, a, uh, you know, a Christian university or even a school um, now the door's been opened for lawsuits against the church. These are just things that are kind of going on. But what really kind of got me was the, this last week, I heard of one of our young, young adults um, just out, I, I think just out of high school, uh, had a job, has a job, and, uh, and at work it came out that he was a Christian, and then people started harassing him. He's been going through this, and it's been a, a hassle for him. And it just... Um, you know, it, it made me think about what the church goes through and what we uh, face at different times. And, you know, we're, we've been blessed in, in this country because of the freedom we have to worship. And we so value that. But what happens when the church faces persecution? What happens if you face persecution? 
And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful that the persecution I'm not talking about is, is, you know, being beheaded or those kinds of things like in some places in the world. But I'm talking about sometimes the, the effect that it has on our job promotions, effect that it has in our schooling, effect that it has in some of our relationships. Most of the pushback against us is a minority. And the majority of the people actually are open for the things of the gospel. So I want to take us to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 1, and let me pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your word is true. And I ask God that as we open your word today, that, Lord, you'd speak to us. Lord, the things that many believers are facing today are not new. And, Lord, we have always overcome. The church has always been victorious. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand these principles that would help us to, to, be, to forward the gospel in this time and in this season, Lord, in this world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It, the, the background of the story is, as you remember, Peter and John were on the way to, to the prayer meeting in the evening, and on the way to the temple, there was a man who was born lame. He, he was paralyzed. He could not walk. And and he, every day, was out there. Somebody must have had brought him there, and he would beg. And he's begging, and as the disciples go by, you know, Peter looks at him and says to him, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the man was instantly healed, and a miracle happened. Of course, people gathered, and all these people knew this guy. They passed by. All the time, he was always there, you know, begging, and all of a sudden now he's walking, and he's praising the Lord, and he's leaping, and he's filled with joy, and all the, the people start to gather, and Peter preaches, and an, an amazing thing happens. 5,000 men come to Christ, plus women and children, and so there's this huge, massive uh, work of God. And remember this, and whenever there is, in fact, um, a move of God. Whenever there is, in fact, uh, souls coming to Christ and the gospel being preached, it's always going to be opposition. And opposition is from the few. Sometimes it's from those in power. But, but never assume that simply because you find yourself being persecuted by a few, that that's the majority. That's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to be uh, overwhelmed with it's so that he can shut you down. And that's the whole point of this, uh, of this story. In chapter 4, verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, the, the, the Sadducees... Remember, when Jesus was around, the people that gave him the biggest trouble were the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious legalists of the time. And they, they were religious people, very legalistic. The Sadducees are the other side of the spectrum. They're the people who kind of license everything. They're the, they're the ones who don't believe in the supernatural. It's, a, it's kind of strange that you think of a, a religious group 
that doesn't think, uh, believe in the resurrection, doesn't believe in life after death, they don't believe in miracles, they don't believe in angels. I mean, that's, that's who they are, you know, the Sadducees. And, and, uh, and because of all those things, I mean, that's why people say, well, they're sad, you see. And I'm sorry if that's a bad joke, but it's, it's the, the, a remembrance to us that these folks were the ones now, after the resurrection, they're the ones that gave the most trouble to the church. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection and they didn't believe in miracles. And here, right before them, is a miracle that no one, you know, they cannot deny. And everybody saw it. Everybody knows this guy. This guy's been there for, you know, for years and years and years. And and now he's walking and and he, he has this miracle. Well, if you don't believe in miracles, and that's how you, what you teach, and you don't believe in the resurrection, and they're preaching the resurrection, that undermines your entire influence, right? If you're trying to, to promote your you know, belief system, that undermines it. Listen, in the secular world today, the same problem occurs. The, the, the secular world does not believe in the supernatural power of God. It doesn't believe in, in the work of God. And even the, the religious... There's a religious secular movement. They're, they're, they're religious, even claiming that they're Christians oftentimes, but they don't believe in the power of God, and they're, and they're not convinced that Jesus is the only means of salvation. And they persecute the church as well. And we see this later on in this text. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, they laid hands on them, verse 3, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And however, when, however many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of, of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now you remember Caiaphas and you'll remember Annas and you remember these, these folks, the family, that they, they show up some other point. In fact, the last time they show up in the scripture, the last time that this group was seen was at the, the trial and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So at that point, when, the, when they convened, the last time they convened, Peter was outside in the courtyard, and uh, he was denying the Lord, right? So Peter was fearful. He was, um, he, he, was, he was backpedaling from his relationship with Jesus and his, uh, his knowledge of the Lord, and he denied him. He did that horrible uh, response and, and out of fear, and he was just filled with fear when he was facing these, these folks the last time. Now, it's... It's happening again, right? Now, now he's facing them face to face. But something is different this time. And you'll notice it says, when they had set them in the mist, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, this was a trap question because they would use, in fact, if someone claimed that they were doing something in another name other than the name of Jehovah, uh, you know, the, the God of Israel, and uh, that they would, in fact, have the right to kill them. That, that was heresy, and they would kill them. So they're setting them up because they're going to say, in the name of Jesus, and, it, and uh, they're, they're anticipating this. And Peter, 
when this comes, he knows what's going on. He knows that they're trying to set him up. But listen to his powerful response and listen to how he can, why he has the power to do it. It says, then Peter, and this is what the Holy Spirit makes, makes sure it's written down for us. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So you see what different, that the difference between Peter in the courtyard denying the Lord to a young girl and Peter in front of the people who really have the power to really kill him, the difference is the Holy Spirit. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he responds. And he responds with boldness because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, we need the Holy Spirit. And the difference is that when Jesus came and when he died and when he rose from the dead, he imparted the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better that I leave, he told the disciples, that the Holy Spirit would come. And on their Pentecost, they were filled. And, and this filling of the Holy Spirit was an ongoing thing. And so for Peter to be filled with the Holy Spirit now, there's a new filling of the Holy Spirit in his life. He has this incredible power anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him and he has confidence he doesn't he doesn't draw back he steps forward and he proclaims and listen to what he says he said and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers of the people and elders of Israel if we this day are judged for the good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by God he did. Now, he didn't say that. Now, it is God. But sometimes, understand this. The world in general will accept us talking about God to a, to a degree. Because if you're talking about God, it could be any God. And they are all in this. I mean, the, the spiritual element of a secular world is that that. You know, we all, whatever you believe is just fine. Everybody, everybody's faith, every belief system, whatever God you have is just fine if it works for you. But Jesus, Jesus did not proclaim that kind of uh, theology or, or truth. His truth is that he came as the only means of salvation. Christianity is very dogmatic, and it's okay to be dogmatic on truth. You know, there are times when being dogmatic is very important in your life, right? If you're taking something, you want to make sure there's, it's not poisonous, right? Don't you want to be dogmatic? I want to make sure what I'm eating or what I'm taking. Or, you know, if you're getting on an airplane, you want to be very dogmatic where it's headed out and going because you don't want to get on the airplane and find out it's going the opposite direction of where you want to be. I mean, all of these things. Life is filled with being dogmatic about the right things. You have to be. Well, when it comes to salvation, there's nothing more important. And in this, there is, in fact, a, a, a place where we have to say, this is what I believe, and I know it's true. And so as Peter responds, he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it at all. He says that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and that name, that name causes offense. Jesus causes offense simply because of who he is and what he claimed. And then it says, <laughs> he doesn't pull any punches here either. Whom you crucified. See, he says, you're, you're, you're kind of responsible for all this. You crucified him. Whom God raised from the dead. 
by him this man stands here before you whole. So the miracle that you don't believe in, it happened by the guy you killed who was resurrected, by the way, which you don't believe in. So here's proof that you're wrong on all accounts. And so he, um, he said, this, this is the stone. And then he quotes the scripture, okay? They're supposed to believe the scripture. Um, they don't believe in all the scripture. Uh, the, the, this kind of reminds you of a lot of denominations today, right? They don't believe all the scripture. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. <laughs> Whenever you say cornerstone where everybody say amen now hallelujah glory to god if you were all here i'd be saying hey say this after me but um the the cornerstone jesus is the cornerstone and he's quoting from psalms 118 22 he's quoting a prophecy about christ that he would be rejected this is what you, if you if you had known the prophecies of the messiah you would know that the messiah was going to die he was going to be rejected by the people he is the chief cornerstone he's the foundation we live our lives on life on and stand that he would be crucified and he would die and he would bear, he would he would be buried and he would rise again and so um jesus is the cornerstone, and he, he's now they're proving it from Scripture. Let's never underestimate the power of the Word of God to touch people and to change people's hearts and lives. The, the disciples understood that, the principles of the power of, of the Word, even to the secular world, even when they went into the Gentile world that didn't understand or even believe in the Old Testament Scriptures, they would quote the Scriptures to them because of the power of the Word of God. I remember this great story early on. I remember the story of uh, this young, young girl. In fact, Chuck Smith used to tell this story that he knew. He knew. This girl had, um, she was young and she was really brand new in, in her faith. All she basically knew, she knew one Scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And after she became a Christian, she became, you know, immediately she started sharing her faith. Well, one of uh, the, her, her teachers her, uh, at school um, heard her and wanted to kind of, you know, put her in her place or confront her or, or tear her down. And so he went to her and he says, now you believe in God? And he, and he started to ask some telling questions, you know, and saying, well, if you believe in God, then why such and such? And if you believe in God, then how could you believe this? And he had, he had a list of things that were his, you know, um, just kind of these supposedly stunting questions from philosophy and science and so forth. And so the, the first time he asked this question, she said, well, sir, I don't know the answer to that. But she said this, but all I do know is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, the guy is kind of frustrated. And, and so the next day, he, uh, he comes to her again, and he asks another question. And, uh, and her answer was, sir, I, I really don't know, but I know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then he asked another question, and she responded the same way. And he, then she, he asked another question, and she responded the same way. She had no other answer because she was new, and she didn't recognize, she didn't have all the arguments, but she had a scripture. The next day, that, that teacher came to her and says, you know, I want to receive Christ. 
And she said, oh, really, what happened? He said, all night I couldn't get out of my head. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the word of God itself is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Never forget that. You might not have all the answers, but you do have God's word, the truth. And you can proclaim it. And don't be afraid to. Don't be afraid that somebody's going to say, well, I don't believe the Bible, and the Bible has all these errors, and, and make up all kinds of things about the, the Bible that aren't true. But I can tell you this. I've been studying God's word for now well over 45 years, 46 years. I study it diligently. I've, I've looked through every element of the scripture, frontwards and backwards. And so have many, many others. And I've heard the arguments against the word of God. And sometimes they'll come up with things and, and people who aren't fully versed get confounded. Sometimes they've even lost their faith because pe people have brought up stuff that seem to be contradictions in scripture and so forth. But what I've found is every argument that has come against the word of God, there is a clear and easy answer. It's just oftentimes people don't know it, don't have it. And because they don't have it and don't have the answer, sometimes they start doubting the word of God. But there's an answer to every question, to every situation in God's word. And th there's certainly enough in God's word to prove that it is indeed has come through God. And his word is, in fact, infallible and, uh, and undeniably uh, God, God's truth. So he says, then he adds this, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the, that's the problem. There's only one way of salvation, and there are those who really push back against that. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that their belief system is wrong. But listen, there's, there's, there, not everyone can be right, right? If 2 and 2 equals 4, it doesn't equal 5 or 3 or 10. But So if you believe it's 5 or 3 or 10, and someone believes it's you know 4, well, one person's right. Not everybody else can be. And when it comes to God... When, when it comes to Christ, listen, if you're a Christian, if you believe that Jesus is the answer, is the only way, that Jesus died for your sins and was buried and rose again from the dead for you, and that is the only means of salvation, well, there's no, then there's only one right way. And that's, that's, that's where you get pushback. But it is the truth. <clears throat> and it, then it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. See, being with Jesus makes you bold. And being bold makes it visible that you've been with Jesus. They recognized that these guys, they, they, they were talking like Jesus talked. They had the confidence. They had, they had the assurance. Like when Jesus taught. <clears throat> and says, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And when they had commanded them to go aside... Out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that notable miracle has been done through them is evident in all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us se severely threaten them, that from now on they speak, no speak to no man 
in his in this name now obviously what they, they don't really care if they talk about god but you are not to talk about jesus and they said he and so <clears throat> it's it's the name that's so threatening and uh and it says, so they called them and commanded them to, to speak at all, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered and said to them, well, we're so sorry. We won't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. We'll just talk about God generally. We won't do that. That's not what they did, right? You see that? Uh, they, they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. So that, that's up to you. Is it right to... And see, this is a matter of right and wrong to them. This is a matter of what God's asked them to do and what man has asked them to do. See, this, this is in some way, this is civil disobedience where it's supposed to be. The, the, the place for civil disobedience is when we are commanded to contradict what God has told us to do and to speak God's truth. Now, there's a, there's a pressure on free speech right now. The first, the first Amendment has been kind of our safeguard, but it's being undermined even now. In a strange way, it's being undermined. See, we would never think, and I was listening to one guy who was saying, he, he never thought that, that free speech would come under attack because he always assumed that free speech would come, you know, being attacked would have to come from the government. But the devil found a way, didn't he? He found a way that, in fact, that the communication system that, that the country uses in social media, that system now is the, uh, where the attack comes on free speech mostly. That, that's where it's coming from. And then, and then a social pressure that is there. You, op, you can't speak in opposition to what they have already determined is, you know, uh, a, a truth that cannot be argued against. That's, and the reason why free speech has to be suppressed is simply because if you have an argument that you cannot defend, well, then you have to stop all opposition to your argument because you can't defend your argument. And Christianity is, is in that place right now where there are those who have used this system kind of in a political way and it's starting to turn and I'm just foreseeing, I'm, the reason I'm preaching this, because I'm seeing it happen, that, that Christians now called immoral, they're, they're, there's all kinds of names given to Christians simply because we hold to a, set, a standard that God has given us on moral ground. Now they've turned the tables and say that we're immoral for holding the standards that are biblical. Now, it says, so when they... Uh, let me, let me just go to verse 20 again. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's your testimony. The things you've seen and heard. You know what the Lord has done in your life. And that's your testimony. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, uh, finding no way to punish them because the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. And the man was over 40 years old, on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. And when they had set them in the midst, and they asked, they asked by what power or by what name, I'm sorry, um, and, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to give you three points. 
And there are three important things we need to do to face persecution. We find them in this text right here. First of all, it's a, uh, the, the scripture says, so, so when they heard that they, that they raised their voice to God with one accord and said. So when Peter came back, they came back to the rest of the group, the disciples, and they told them what had happened, how they'd been threatened. And the first thing they do is pray. Listen, it's time to pray. It is time to pray. And, and this, they, they, they knew how to pray. The, these disciples, these early church folks, the reason they turned the world upside down, remember this. They suffered, and this is the first, um, the first time that the church, you know, Jesus was persecuted, but the first time that the church was starting to suffer persecution. And this would go on for, for uh, actually several g- generations. And at, in Jerusalem it started, and it spread the gospel throughout the world. Because as people spread, when, the, when persecution hit them, they spread the gospel. They went all over as they were fleeing persecution and shared the gospel all over the world. And as a result of that, listen, in less than 300 years, they had turned the world upside down. In fact, in Paul's time, while the disciples were still here, the world was being turned upside down because of the gospel. Thousands and thousands of people were coming to Christ and the gospel was being shed. But to reach the whole world, how long can you do that and and go against all this persecution? And in spite of all that, listen, by the time that Constantine came into power, it's estimated that 60% of the entire Roman Empire were Christians. 60%. They were underground, many of them, but they, they had taken over. Because persecution doesn't stop the church. But I want you to see something. That, that, and, and this is, when persecution comes, the first thing they do is they go to prayer. They have, you know, they have spiritual disobedience. That's their, that's their first call. Spiritual disobedience. And says, so the Lord, you, they, this is their prayer. prayer. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the seas and all that's in them. Now, did they pray that prayer because they didn't, God didn't know that? No. <laughs> They're not t- telling God or reminding him that he's a creator. They're reminding themselves in their prayer. The, the person we're coming to, the person we're relying to in the face of persecution is all-powerful. There, there's nothing he can't do. He says, Who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? So in other words, the scripture actually says this is what happens, and so it shouldn't surprise us. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now this is all in Psalms 2. Then verse 27, For truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So even in the, the, in the persecution and the crucifixion of Jesus, you had planned that out. You had, made, you, you had a plan for reaching the world and the gospel. Lord, we trust that in you. See, there's something about that trusting God, even the, in the midst of persecution, that is looking for the hand of God working and acting that gives you a strength and gives you a confidence. And we want that confidence when we face persecution in, 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 in our life. But the first thing they do is they pray. Now, look at how, what they pray. 
And, and verse 29 says it, not, and this is the next point, but he says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that there'll be no more persecution anymore in the world. Would you, would you just stop all the persecution, Lord? That's not their prayer. They, they anticipate, Jesus said, so they're, they're not praying for there not to be persecution. What are they praying for? The, the prayer, this prayer is the greatest pushback against persecution. And, you know, that's why, that's why I, you know, I'm, I'm saying, is it time? Is it time for us to push back? Is it time for us to, to stand up and, and push back? Because the greatest pushback against us is not a political movement. Now, now there's, there's a place for political. There's, there's a place for, you know, using whatever influence you have and using it strongly. And, there, and the church has failed here in this regard. We have failed. We, we have totally failed. We failed in the academic world that, that we haven't pressed in. We have failed in so many ways. We've let so much go by as we've been kind of hiding out instead of standing firm. We didn't do, we haven't been doing what Peter and John did. Instead, we went and hid out. We, we've hid out because I believe we have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. The church has not been fully filled with the Holy Spirit as it, as it needs to be because if we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be cowering down so much. We'd be standing up with boldness. And so, but I want you to see this, and this is the second point. It's time to promote. See, it's time to pray, and then it's a time to promote. Promote what? Promote the gospel. Promote, promote Christ to the world. We need, to, we need to, to passionately get out the truth of the gospel. And you don't step back at this point. You go forward even more when persecution comes, when people start attacking us because we're Christian, when people speak against us because we're Christian. We're the ones that need to step up at that point. We need to be seen. The church needs to be seen more. We're too invisible. In my opinion, we're way too invisible. I remember, and, uh, and some of you will remember this, the majority will not remember um, the Jesus movement of the 70s. And, and I, let me tell you, for those of you who, who have been uh, kind of in the younger generation that weren't around for the Jesus movement of the 70s, it was a tremendous time where all of a sudden, People were getting saved by the thousands, and they were getting saved from the streets. And none, people who had no understanding or, or, or view of God, they weren't from church. All kinds of people were getting saved at that time. And that's still happening. I'm not, I, I think we still are kind of experiencing the remnant of the Jesus movement and what God did. But what, what I do remember so vividly as a young person is is that there was this sense that there wasn't the sense that we were alone if you were a Christian. In fact, at least in our arena, you know, Orange County area, um, there, there, people were, would have Jesus bumper stickers. Everywhere you went, you'd see Jesus bumper stickers, and people would have I love Jesus t-shirts, and, and, uh, and you know, pe people would have honk if you love Jesus, and you would honk if you saw a bumper sticker, and, and, uh, and we'd give the one-way sign. Now, that, that faded out because it was misinterpreted sometimes, right? Somebody, somebody honking, you give the one-way sign, somebody flip you off because they thought you were flipping them off. But, but it, was, it was just an amazing, fun environment. Wherever you went, you saw Christians all over. Now, there's not any less Christians. There's just less 
Christians that are proud about and promoting their faith in Christ. That's the problem. Their problem. You, you probably have cut off or been cut off by a Christian that didn't have a bumper stick. You don't know, right? You, 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 you've, you've been all over. In fact, if you drive out around today, you're going to pass hundreds, thousands of Christians. But nobody knows. Because nobody is proud enough. And I, I saw an interesting thing. I got the Cornerstone uh, face mask, you know, the, that we, we got. And I've been using it all around town, wherever I go. And I, you know, if I end up at a store or what have you, I have my mask on and it's Cornerstone Church. And I've actually seen some response to that. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, the church is great, and I love our church uh, t-shirts, and I think they're good. I think they actually are a promotion of the fact that we're Christians. But I also think that there's a kind of a time for us to start wearing more Jesus stuff and get some Jesus bumper stickers. And, and I've, I've heard the argument, well, listen, I'm not a very good driver, so it's not a very good testimony. Well, become a better driver and stand up for Jesus. It's time, listen, this is the pushback, and if we don't, persecution is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. But when people look out and they see Christians everywhere, it undermines their confidence as non-believers that, that all Christians, you know, whatever category they put them in, in a negative uh, light, because they see Christians everywhere. They, they, all these Christians can't be wrong. But we've been secret. We've been secret agent Christians. And folks, we need to stand up. And if we will, and that's why I say, we need to be the people who are encouraging other Christians to stand up for their faith. We need to be those people who stand up for the, our faith. But we need that because every day we wake up and we say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me. That we gather together and when we're praying, if you're on your Zoom call or what have you, um, you, you say, let's pray for boldness. I think that's a prayer that we need to now implement into all of our, our times together and our gatherings together. Lord, give us boldness. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the right words. So, and then lastly, and I'll have to go quickly on this, it's time to prepare. And preparing, I've already said, be filled with the Spirit. That's how we prepare ourselves. Um, it, the, 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 it, it says that the disciples, after they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say any of the uh, anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, and they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, what, what they were doing is they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they started caring for one another. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you care, and you care for the needy, and that's the next one. They, take, they took care. It's time to take care of the needy. In pre preparation, we need to reach the needy people. Now, in, our, in Orange County, the needy people aren't necessarily those who are economically needy, though there are those too. But, uh, you know, you can get a job pretty much in Orange County. Maybe sometimes it's not enough. And especially if you're a single parent, it's very difficult. And I'm so grateful to our church in this regard. We take care of one another. I mean, I've just seen this so much. I, one of the advantages, I think, being a pastor is 
to see what the church sometimes is doing nobody else knows. I know people in our church who have, you know, they don't want anybody else to know, and they do it secretively, but they have one, they want to help one another, and they're giving to one another, they're taking care of one another. In this season, there are people who have lost jobs, and they're being taken care of. In our church, it's working. The body of Christ is caring for one another. And as we do that, and then we also reach out and care for the, the community, well, our testimony grows. And, and what, what do you push back against when the body of Christ is helping people? You have a, you have a difficult time pushing back on that and when, that, when that's seen. We also need to have a, an answer. We need to be prepared to, to, to share, to, to think through. You know, Peter said that we should have an answer for everyone for the hope that lies within us. We're going to face times of persecution. We need an answer. The Holy Spirit gives you truth and gives you answers. And we're, we're going to, as a church, um, do a lot more preparation work. Um, and I'm so proud of our, you know, our youth pastors and, and, uh, and, our, and our leaders with our young people because... Um, we do, they do a good job trying to help our kids prepare and, and face, you know, different uh, persecution and arguments against the faith, which is a great, important thing. Um, but we need to prepare. And the third one is, is take safety measures, preparation in safety measures. And I, I just kind of in this sense, and I, this is my final thought on this, it's found in Luke 22 and verse 36, where Jesus getting the disciples prepared for persecution that was coming. Interesting. In, in chapter 22, Jesus said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. This is your food bag, right? You, you take that. You, pre you, you, you prepare. You make sure that you're covered, you see. There's financial decisions that you make. Because sometimes, at some point, when persecution comes, you want to be able to stand firm without any fears. Listen, if you're in a work job, workplace, and uh, the boss is really, you know, attacking you because of your Christianity, and I've seen this happen, and I know it happens, that, and then all of a sudden he requires of you to do something that is totally against your faith, and you know it, and he knows it. And he's, getting, try, he's pushing you to compromise your faith. If you don't have the resources, if you have not prepared in case you lose your job, right, because you spent everything you have, and you have not, you know, you have not uh, saved anything for uh, you know, a time like this, well, then, you're, then that, that temptation is ten times worse because you don't want to lose your job. But if you've prepared yourself... Well, and that season comes, you can say, hey, adios, I'm sorry. I'm not going to compromise my faith. And you trust God. And you can trust God even if you don't have the resources. And, and God would expect that, but this makes it a little bit easier, right? And Jesus then, he, he makes this statement, which I'm not going to make much comment on. I'm just going to let you figure it out. And he said, who, who has no sword, if you have no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. All right? This was a safety measure for them. This was a protective measure against the kind of persecution that Jesus anticipated was coming their way. So folks, listen, we need to be ready. We need to, we need to, get, we need to pray. It's time to pray, and it is, it is definitely time to promote. 
Don't back down with your faith. Share it. The more you're persecuted, the more you stand up. The more people harass you, the more you stand up against it. And not in an obnoxious way, in a very loving way. But you don't, you don't draw back. You stand firm in your faith. And you pr proclaim the message, the good message of the good news of the gospel. Because you know what? For every, you know, for every five or six or seven or eight or ten people like Peter was facing in, in the... In, in the court, there were 10,000 that are ready to be saved. And if you see that, there might be a few. But don't let the few dictate your speech and your testimony. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would bless. Father, right now, bless us. I ask like the, the disciples asked, I ask, give us boldness, Lord. There are people right now that are facing fears and discouragement, and there seems like an oppression on so many people that have told me that they've just been struggling because of all the things that are going on. Lord, help us not to cower back in any way, not to get discouraged, but to get bold, I pray. Help us to be, Lord, filled with faith at this season. This is the time to stand up. This is a time that people are so discouraged and so many people in the world, the suicide rate has just been climbing at a tremendous pace because, Lord, there's people that feel hopeless and they have no where to turn. But, Lord, we have the answer. Lord, it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Help us to proclaim with boldness your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. God bless. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you.
bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you, church.